Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Ed Tyson online. Ed, how are you today? Uh, fantastic. Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Thank you for your time today. You do some amazing work in the leadership space. So I want you to share a little bit about you, and then we'll dive into the conversation about leadership. Sure thing. Well, you know, my uh, journey is a strange one. I uh, started uh, with joining the Marine Corps at 17. I was a uh, reservist, so went to school at the same time. Started out uh, focusing on criminal justice, had some interesting experiences that uh, led me to then change my major to philosophy and maybe uh, think about life a little bit, think about the gray as a young man. And as I explored that, uh, I also was studying uh, comparative religions because that's essentially what you do when you're studying philosophy. And that led me to small group dynamics in the way of sects and cults. And I got so uh, enveloped in this idea of kind of aberrant behavior, group behavior, leadership, its impact on uh, neurotypical individuals that uh, I just drew me to, drew a, me as a young man into that subject matter and led me eventually to organizational psychology. So uh, yeah, after a number of years, uh, 17 in fact, working in healthcare and various different jobs, uh, including VP of process improvement, VP of strategy, I uh, eventually started my own thing. And uh, along the way, fell in love with executive coaching and the idea of the impact, uh, the, the massive impact on structure in delivering your strategy. So those two themes just grabbed hold of me. And the last 10 years, I've been running at those with both individuals and large organizations. It's an awesome journey. I love talking with people like yourself that started off with one thing found an interest in something else and it, it kind of twists and turns. But I had a conversation earlier today where somebody had very similar, not a similar background as you, but similar in that lots of different changes from working on Wall Street to being an angel investor to launching businesses and all, all kinds of different things. But in both cases, I see that the tools that you picked up along the way, you kept them in your tool bag because you're like, you know what, I can use this tool in this particular situation. And I think a lot of people that are successful to be able to shift between different types of industries and careers and all of that have done that where they've you know, taken those skills that they've picked up along the way all the way back to your service and the armed forces to today. Uh, I'm sure there's tools you've picked up along the way that you use all the time. Well, the thing is about those twists and turns, right, is they fold in upon each other, which means you're uh, traveled a long way, but you are still significantly connected to your past and those lessons you learned along the way. At least I know that's uh, been true for my journey and, uh, you know, continues to be true uh, each step I take. That's awesome. Awareness on that, too. So. So let's dive into you know, the work that you're doing today. And as I said in the pre-show, it's like, wow, do we need leadership? I mean, we've always have, but we really need it right now because this world has all kinds of pitfalls. And if you're old enough, you remember that game on Activision called Pitfall and you avoid the alligators and swing around and all that kind of stuff. Seems like 
we're all doing all that kind of work to avoid all of these different things that keep coming up, whether it's wars, inflation, a pandemic, viruses, the great resignation, uh, supply chain. It's, it's, it's almost like a history book of things that are being thrown at us in this microcosm that we call time. So love to hear your insights on, on what's been happening over the last few years and, and why strong leadership and the work that you're doing is so critical. Well, yeah, not only do we have this uh, confluence of factors that are creating such an intense geopolitical landscape, right, uh, and economic uh, landscape, et cetera, but we also know that uh, CEOs on the whole, there's a global study in, in 2018 that said really only 14% of them were willing to say they have the leaders they need to implement the strategy. So at this time where the need is at an incredible, intense high, we also have the supply seems to be so short. And I really got interested in this problem, uh, you know, for a number of years, I was just doing the same old thing everyone else was, uh, and then kind of took a look in the mirror and thought, gosh, as a process guy, I should know better than to do what everyone else is doing and expect somehow better results, right? And so I kind of started to really dissect for myself, what is leadership? Really, what is it? And if we can really understand kind of the purpose of leadership, then we'll really be able to better understand the work. And if I can understand the purpose and the work as, a, as an old process guy and a strategy guy, I know that I can come up with the process of leading. So I was really trying to focus on those three areas. Now, oddly enough, because I favored the process side so well, that's really where I started was, was looking at, at the process. And what I found was that uh, when I would talk to people, and this is really it was by looking at the, the process that I coined the phrase leadership SOPs, right? Thinking of it as your standard operating procedures for leading. And I started working with leaders to say, hey, let's just talk about the SOPs you have, and then we'll talk about the SOPs you need. And what I found was I was constantly having to get into arguments with people about what is the work of leading. What was the stuff they were doing versus what was the stuff they should be doing? And did they have, they didn't have the right processes because they didn't agree to the right work. And so even though I just talked about it, you know, a few seconds ago as being thoughtful of the purpose, work and process of leading, the reality is I started up at the, the top and then dug in and said, wow, we need to really find some agreement around the work. And as I engaged with my clients on that and peers in search for better answers, what I really found was that we needed to anchor ourselves a step lower in that purpose. And so I kind of found it through my own journey of just digging deeper. And, you know, obviously I'm teeing up for what do I think the purpose of leading is. And where I always start in this conversation is just say, I think that we conceive of leadership for the first time when we embrace objectives, we cannot achieve alone. And, and therefore, the purpose of leading is not to achieve the objectives as is easy to, to think about in that little scenario there. That's where most people go. It's achieving work through others. But really, the purpose of leading, why we chose leading as a social tool is basically to cultivate the community of effort 
that we need to achieve the objective. So the tough part about leadership is that while our objective is what inspires us, and sometimes the work that's involved in that objective is what inspires us. If we do that work, we're really doing the team's work. We need to structure, operate, and perfect the community of effort we need to get the job done. And that is what leadership is. And that's the second meaning of the SOPs of leadership, right? I first started with just standard operating procedures, but then I realized that that uh, acronym could really be a double entendre standing for the three domains of leadership that I help people explore and whole organizations, which is structuring, operating, and perfecting the communities of effort you need. I love that. And I also love that you kind of used an old algebra formula. If you know two of them, you can get the third. Um, <laughs> it took me a while to learn that. I wish I would have learned that in algebra one. I didn't pick up on that till algebra two, but at least I got to algebra two. Um, after that, I they were saying, do you want trigonometry or calculus? Like, no, nah, yeah. I'm going into accounting. I, this is this is the most I need to take. We're good, thanks. Uh, but you know, other people did, and obviously have gone on to do great things. But uh, again, I, I one of the things that jumps out at me, and I know so many organizations, unfortunately, that don't do this, is they'll come up with their procedures, they'll have policies, they'll kind of outline, okay, how we do things here, but there's never any emphasis on getting better at it. It's just, oh, we just do it. And I'm thinking, okay, well, if athletes did that, boy, you know, we'd be watching some mediocre sports now, depending on who your favorite team is. It could be, you know, there's some teams that obviously is like, I don't think they're practicing as much as they need to. They're not perfecting much, but organizations, unfortunately, you know, fail to do that. I worked for one uh, company, it was division of, it was Daimler Chrysler at the time, now Daimler Benz. And they were the only company that I had encountered in my career that at the end of any project, the entire project team would come together and they'd bring in key people from other projects. And we had a really deep debrief of what happened. And we really talked about it, kind of like the after work at the bar kind of conversation about yeah, how your yeah. week went. But we did that in great detail. Of course, we included people that weren't working on the project to get their insights and, and things that we discovered. And because we did that, we became a lot more efficient in those projects to the point where we were able to take on, I think it was an extra 25% volume of work without adding any personnel because we got so efficient at what we were doing, we could manage the workload and we were just you know cranking them out. And it was one of those things that was like, wow, this is so amazing that we did this. And then after I left that organization and went to another, like, um, do we do that? And he's like, no, 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 we, we just, we just do these this way. And I'm like, okay, so you're going to be stuck in the mud. And so I made it a point, any organization that I led, you know, until, you know, including, you know, my own organization now is, okay, you know, we're going to look at anything we do, any lengthy project, even something just, you know, an annual review or semi-annual review of processes and all that stuff that we do to see, okay, how can we get better? What What's some efficiencies we can do? Are there tools available now that weren't before that we can utilize? What, a, you know, what about the inputs? What went work? What really went well? What didn't? What do we learn from that? You know, what do we want to do differently? And when I opened it up to that, especially the last 
medical clinic. I worked in healthcare for a while too. The last clinic I worked at, it was a primary care clinic and they were around for a couple of years. When I came on board, they were averaging 86% turnover of staff. Now I'm not talking McDonald's, I'm talking a medical facility, master's educated level people coming and going like it was turnstile at the amusement park. So I got in there and after my first year, that was reduced to 6%. And people asked, what in the world did you do? I mean, did you bribe them? Did you, you know, hook them up with, you know, whatever? I'm like, no, we were actually, uh, because it was in Canada, it was government funded. There was actually a salary freeze at the time. So I couldn't give them any extra money. It was a case of, hey, if you were running this company, what would you do differently? Um, what are some things you're seeing? I talked with them. I listened to them. Yeah. I implemented some of their ideas. Next thing you know, everybody's engaged. Yeah. Things got better. We improved and improved year after year after year to the point where in an area where they weren't allowing expansion, because it was, a, again, government freeze, they allowed our clinic to expand. Because I'm sure my, if any of my former colleagues are listening, they're probably figuring out, oh, it was you guys that got the expansion money. <laughs> yes, we did. Yeah. Why? You know, because I created I created an environment for people to thrive. Yeah, and you know, uh, healthcare is a great example of where uh, everyone is so hooked on that patient connection and that purpose that they sometimes forget about the people purpose, the community of effort. Uh, you've got you know a, a phrase I know you've heard time and time again, usually applied to doctors and nurses, which is they eat their young. We hear that all the time because we treat so terribly, almost in a paramilitary sense, the plebes that are coming in and cutting their teeth and bright eyed and trying to change the world and help all the patients and we crush them. And, uh, you know, we're famous uh, for that. And it's really this idea that leaders have to connect primarily to their people. That is their function. It is their purpose. And they've got, in order to do that, to establish certain things that they're going to do over and over again. Michael, if I asked you to go coach, I don't care. You can pick any sport you like, a basketball team, a football team, any team sport. What you're going to immediately do is start to craft a playbook. And then you are going to start drilling those plays over and over again, not because they're always going to look like that in competition, but because we learn so much from each other and we generate our own, our own personal proficiency and we start to generate trust. I know what it looks like when you're doing work. I know what it looks like when I'm about to get a handoff. I know when that handoff's maybe going to go a little sideways and how to prevent it. That's what we learn when we're going play after play after play. And that's why as much as leaders don't like to be told they should be somewhat robotic uh, in what they're doing, it is amazing the impact it has when you just leverage SOPs like the one you were talking about, where you're doing a, a detailed after action deep dive on what's just transpired for the team and learning from it and adjusting and going after it again, uh, you know, just having something like that in place, boom, it, it begins to build that trust and collegiality. We start to trust the process and then 
through the magic of that, it compresses. And that's another observation you made, which is, look, when your team starts humming, you naturally need fewer people to do the same or more work. And we see that over and over again across industries, uh, sectors, sports, uh, et cetera. Uh, you, you, you talked about math earlier. That's when we get to multiplication. But the plain truth of the matter is that most organizations mathematically doom themselves by not getting the structure right. And what I mean by that is not just structure in the sense of the org chart, but that's certainly important because that's how your team is arrayed on the field before the whistle blows. But I mean structure all the way back to your basic scope. What's going on in the ecosystem? Why are you there? What's your purpose? What are your objectives? What's your you know, cultural objectives that are balancing those business objectives? And what are the strategies you're trying to reach? S-C-O-P-E, strategy, culture, objectives, purpose, and ecosystem. They don't have that right. They're not aligned on it across the organization. And so the efforts of some will always subtract from far too many. And that's what I mean by when I say mathematically doomed, I don't necessarily mean division. That's when we have serious bad actors, but mostly we're just dying through subtraction. And we don't even have addition, let alone the kind of multiplication you were talking about. That's amazing when an organization hums. It, it just does amazing things. It flows like a river without restriction, and it's it's a beautiful thing to see. So, uh, last question while we wrap up. So, where do you see things now that we're? I don't want to say post pandemic yet, but you know we're getting there. Uh, depending on who you talk to, but you know where do you see? the challenges ahead for leadership and some things that organizations should really start focusing on as our generations are starting to shift, you know, the baby boomers are getting to retirement age. You've got, you know, the Gen Xers, Gen Y, Gen Z, and then not too far after that's going to be the the alpha group, um, which is just alarming that we're going to have so many generations potentially working um, together uh, in some industries. Where, where do you see things going over the next few years? Great question. Uh, first off, I think that uh, coming out of the pandemic, you know, we've been talking about the great resignation. And I think that really that's as a result of a different kind of great depression that has resulted from a lack of community uh, during the whole pandemic experience. But it's really just amplifying these problems we've had for a long time, and it just allowed them to explode and fester. And in fact, I think that that Great Depression I'm talking about, psychological, not economic, drove the kind of uh, you know uh, inflation that we're seeing, uh, and is potentially going to drive us into a, a Great Recession. And now we're starting to get into some economic impacts of an enormous amount of people being dissatisfied with their life and their working environment, et cetera. So I would say to you that number one, I think leaders need to engage, 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 and they're gonna have to figure out how to do that in a new world because for thousands, I mean, just let this sit with you for a second, for thousands of years, proximity has been the major way that humans have reinforced membership, culture, and accountability in groups for thousands of years. We literally do not have well-developed SOPs for the kind of digital engagement 
that we need. And certainly for the kind of hybrid mixed in-person digital engagement and balancing that, that's going to take well thought out leadership SOPs to make sure you're paying attention to the employees you've got down the hall and the employees you've got around the world. And of course, for some leaders, that's been true who have been operating on a global stage or with a dispersed team. I know, you know, I had a, a whole team of people in Albuquerque for years. And what I found right away is, oh my gosh, I cannot rely on management by walking around, right? I've got to deploy different SOPs to get the job done. So I think it's, it's just engagement, engagement, engagement and recognizing that engagement is significantly different and you have to do more and of it and it has to be better and more meaningful to break through these screens and really make a connection with your team and structure operate and perfect that community of effort you need to overcome the challenges and realize the opportunities that is a perfect explanation of what this world is facing right now, and I and I do like the analogy about the the Great Depression and just being a you know not a financial one. Uh, it's it was a rough go for everybody, it impacted everybody in different ways. So it's gonna be interesting to see how things pan out as we continue to evolve through all of this. So, and I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this amazing work you do? Well, certainly at leadershipsops.com, they can grab my book from Expert to Executive on Amazon. Uh, they can also find, uh, connect, and follow me on LinkedIn, uh, Ed Tyson uh, SOPs, or at Ed Tyson SOPs on Twitter. I'd uh, love to hear from uh, anybody who just wants to contribute to the thinking on all of these matters, uh, or rap a bit about challenges they're having, and uh, you know, talk about the future. That's awesome. I'll definitely have all that information in the show notes. So, Ed, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it and love the work you do. Thank you so much, Michael. It's great to be here. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.